Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. The week five is in the books, and we are here to break it all down for you. I am Alex Shane here, as always, with Rich Hill. Rich, the Patriots play, and the Colts played on Thursday night. Did you catch any of the games on Sunday? Yeah, and is there anything more delightful than a Sunday of football where you're not nervous about the outcome because you already have a win in the pocket? That's how I felt. That's how I felt this entire weekend. Patriots crushed the Colts on Thursday, and so I just kind of got to enjoy how the, these games kind of played out or even just like enjoy how the, the weekend happened, even if the, the outcomes themselves weren't too great. Yeah, in terms of from a Patriots perspective, a lot of outcomes didn't really go our way. But the one good thing about Thursday night football, having your team play on a short week, is yeah, you get the win out of the way. It's under your belt. You get a mini bye week, and you can kind of just relax and watch the games. And overall, Rich, um, maybe not the most exciting slate of games this past Sunday, but overall some pretty good results and some interesting results, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they weren't the most exciting games, but there were some surprises in there. We can start by talking about the AFC East because. I expected the Bills and the Jets to lose. The The Bills were hosting the Titans, and then the Jets were hosting the Denver Broncos, and there was no way in my mind that either the Bills or the Jets were going to pull off those victories. And yet the Bills beat the Titans 13-12, to and the Jets crushed the Broncos 34-16. to They had 21 points in the second quarter. They're both now 2-3. and three. I, I mean, I, I have no read on either of these teams. I know that the Bills' offense is terrible, but their defense is pretty good and underrated, and the Jets seem to have enough talent out there to at least be noteworthy. And so, I mean, they're 2-3. and three. What do you expect from either of these teams for the rest of the year? That's funny, Rich. I believe on last year's podcast, a recurring theme that you and I were rambling about back and forth was the phrase, who knows? It was kind of a who knows <laughs> season in the NFL and I feel like it might be another who knows season yet again because based on how the Bills played the first couple weeks of the season, 0-16 is a legitimate possibility. Then they come out and take the hinges off the Vikings. They take the Titans out in a pretty sloppy game, but still they got the job done. The Jets, I never thought the Jets would beat the Broncos, even though it's a home game and the Broncos' offense isn't that good. The Jets look terrible. 34 points on the Broncos' defense is no easy feat. But they did that no problem. And so, yeah, maybe this this kind of myth that's been perpetuated the past couple seasons just isn't true and that the AFC East isn't a horrible division. Yeah, right? I feel like that's uh, that's everyone's go-to when they're trying to take down Tom Brady is that they got a bunch of pretty weak teams in the AFC East. Uh, we'll, we'll see what the Bills and Jets do. Maybe they have a bright future. Maybe they don't. 
but what you can always rely on the Miami Dolphins because they are just oh my gosh but we previewed the game uh Cincinnati Bengals were hosting the Miami Dolphins we previewed this as the two teams fighting for the right to go nine and seven to be an AFC wildcard team Bengals have a pretty solid lead now they they came back from 17-0 to score 27 unanswered points to beat the Dolphins they have their four and one now they have a commanding lead inside not just the AFC North but the entire AFC uh they're they're in second place right behind the Chiefs so the Bengals took care of business the Dolphins collapse the Dolphins have you know ever since the Patriots took them down I think no one is really believing in them anymore Patriots are back on top of the AFC East. Do you expect the Patriots 1, Dolphins 2, and some variation of Bills Jets 3 and 4 to be how this, this division plays out this year? Yeah, it's a good question, man, because not only did the Dolphins blow a 17-point lead uh, late into the third quarter, but the way they blew it and the way that Tannehill had the chance to lead a fourth-quarter drive to come back, I think it was 17-20, to 20, I believe, was the score. So they're only a field goal away from tying the game and he fumbled it for a touchdown return. And then he had a chance to get it again, then he threw a pick. And he just can't seem to get over the hump of being a clutch quarterback. He's very streaky. And given the way the Dolphins' schedule is going to play out over the next couple of weeks, I don't know, maybe this is going to be a surprise thing where the Sam Darnold gets his act together. Of the two rookie quarterbacks in the AFC East right now, I will take Darnold over Josh Allen any day of the week. I think Allen looks lost out there. He looks very inaccurate. Darnold's at least flashing at times. And the Jets' defense isn't bad. So maybe the Jets will be the, the number two team in the AFC East this year, which would surprise everybody, including me. I don't think a AFC East team will make the wild card. If it's the Jets, I think it's the Dolphins or Bust for the wild card team. But there's really little I've seen from the Bills, Jets, or Dolphins that leads me to believe that they're really going to be able to hang with anybody in the AFC. Yeah, and there's too much talent inside the, the division or inside the conference, really, for me to say that, you know, Bills, Dolphins, or Jets really deserve to be a wild card because y you look around the rest of, of the, the conference. Steelers, they are now 2-2-1. Two, two and one. By no means are they a world beater, but they crushed the Atlanta Falcons, 41-17. So you have to respect their ability, and they're doing this all without Le'Veon Bell, who, quite honestly, they might not need because Connor at running back has been outstanding. Uh, and then you got the Chiefs that are just rolling over the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so... If you assume that the Chiefs, Jaguars, Patriots are winning their divisions, uh, you got the Ravens, Steelers, and Bengals in some combination that I would not be shocked if, you know, two of them landed the wild card spots that uh, that didn't win that division. So th there's a lot to to really just be very skeptical about with with the future of the AFC East. And maybe you know what? It's not this year that they'll they'll make it. They'll they'll have to take another year or two for the rest of their offense to really settle in with their new quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the wild card, it's, it's funny. You know, we always talk about the parody in the NFL, and parody, there really isn't much of it at the end of the day. It's really which team makes the wild card is usually where the, the, the difference comes in every year. And this year, it might be the AFC North again, although the Ravens lost to the Browns. Our, our, our Cleveland Browns are at 500. Heck five yeah. Weeks. Which, which is a weird stat. A game of field goals. It's weird for the, the Baltimore Ravens with the field goal kicker they have, the best in the game, to lose in a field goal matchup with the Browns is a crazy result. Went to overtime. Overtime game seems to be left and right in the National Football League this year. So, yeah, maybe we really got to resurrect that, that who knows phrase and trademark it and make some money off it because it seems that we're just not going to be very – very accurate anytime we predict anything rich yeah and what's actually kind of funny about the cleveland browns before we go and talk about patriots versus colts uh through five games they've had every single possible outcome 
that you can have in an NFL game. They, they've won in regulation. They've lost in regulation. They've won in overtime. They've lost in overtime. And then they tied back in week one against the Steelers. So, you know what? They're, they're winning or they're, they're playing every single game in a, in a new and exciting fashion. So there, there's plenty of room aboard the Cleveland Browns hype train. If nothing else, they're extraordinarily entertaining, uh, even if they do only beat the Ravens 12-9. You know, it's always just going to snap my fingers and just, just do those, those jazz claps. For, for the Browns' success this year. <laughs> um, but enough about the rest of the league. Let's talk about Patriots versus Colts. Patriots beat Indianapolis 38-24. to In my mind, the game wasn't that close. Uh, what were your impressions watching the game? The game wasn't that close. The score does not indicate how lopsided it was. However, overall, this game could have been about 50-10. to 50 to 10. The Patriots left a lot of points on the board. Uh, a couple of, not on Brady, but a couple of picks from Tom Brady threw off a couple of drives those were they were in field goal range on both of them Gronkowski was at the goal line Chris Hogan had one bounce right off his hands that happens not all picks are created equal there was the Edelman drop Uh, Brady missed a couple receivers so there were a lot of points they left on the board and Andrew Luck on the other hand had a very bad case of the drops his receivers he threw some absolutely beautiful passes that literally just bounced off receivers hands or bounced off their chests that kept drives from from going down the field so there's some plays on both sides that both teams probably would have wanted back Uh, the Patriots against a better defense will need to score those points especially with the Chiefs coming to town probably gonna be a very high scoring game but overall short week Teams coming in, you never know what's going to happen with these things. You got to be pleased with the result. And 38 points, nothing to, uh, to shake your head at. Yeah, and there's plenty to to be happy with for the development of the Patriots. Specifically, we can start with the offense right here. Wasn't a perfect game by any measure, as you said, but the one-two punch of Sony Michelle and James White were extraordinarily productive again. Uh, Michelle finished the day with 110 yards and a touchdown, uh, 98 of those rushing, 12 yards receiving. James White had 10 catches, led the team, 77 yards and a touchdown. So they've been very, very productive as New England's really been figuring out what their identity is going to be on offense. But other than Michelle's continued development, Julian Edelman returned to the field. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Seven catches, 57 yards. How did you think he looked in his first game back from suspension and from his torn ACL? I mean, given it's his first game back, I think he looked great. I love, love that their very first play call of the day was a quick little Edelman sit-down route for nine yards on first and ten. It was just a great way to show the Patriots are are back to doing what they do very well. That's where Edelman excels in the middle of the field, those under routes, those quick releases, those hot reads. That's where he does his best football. And he seems to be nimble and mobile as ever. He was back there returning punts. Had that big drop, obviously, but – that's okay. They're allowed to drop one if you're here and there, especially if you're coming off a full year away from the game. I think he looked great, and he integrated pretty seamlessly back into this offense. And I think it really made every other receiver around him better. Gronkowski had a big day, 75 yards on six catches. Josh Gordon had a, had a much better day. Even Chris Hogan, besides that one drop, he had three picks for three catches for 30 yards. So, and Philip Dorsett had three for 25. Everyone kind of got involved. I feel like Edelman's kind of that linchpin that allows everything to rotate a lot more. And I'm very pleased with what I saw. Yeah, and and his presence was uh, kind of a skill set that the Patriots missed over the first four weeks of the season because what they had been doing is having Chris Hogan come out in the slot and try to play in that Julian Edelman role. And it was very, very clear that Chris Hogan does not have that skill set. He doesn't have that quickness. He doesn't have the ability in such short timing and space to create any separation from those defenders. And as a result, the Patriots' quick passing game really suffered, and that's why New England really didn't do that great against the Jaguars or against the Lions because Edelman was that engine of the offense. 
now that he's out there, now that he's a consistent threat in that middle of the field, it makes it more complicated to cover Rob Gronkowski. You get open up the field for Josh Gordon because you got to dedicate, you know, whether you're bracketing Julian Edelman on the middle or you're bracketing Rob Gronkowski now, there's always going to be a viable number one target that is facing one-on-one coverage. And that could also include James White out there, who has shown that he's extraordinarily reliable at catching the ball, moving chains, and just continuing to push the drive forward and forward and forward. So Edelman's return, so, so positive in his first game back. I'm really, really excited to see how he's going to play against the Kansas City Chiefs next week. Now that maybe the rust isn't entirely off, but he, he's gotten to the system. I believe he played like 60, 70% of the snaps in his very first game back, which was a lot more than I had expected. But he should slide back into that 80% role, and perhaps he'll, he'll start sliding up to that 80 yards per game sort of level as Tom Brady's safety blanket, and that'll open up the field for everyone else to start producing even more. Oh, for sure. My only worry with Edelman, I think, just his mentality and the way he plays and just the way he is as a player, he obviously wants to go all out and show the world that he is back. He's back to 100%. And he had this tendency even before he was he got injured. He's still in his 20s. He's not a big fair catch guy on punts. He likes to take it and make a guy miss, try to take one to the house every single game. I hope he manages his playing time, his reps, his hits a little better overall because I don't want to see him get hurt again. I need him to ease back into things as much as you can. He's back into the swing of things. But I agree with you. I really think that the, him out there makes Brady a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident. He's got the time he needs because the coverages can't blitz as much. That said, though, man, I think we should talk about this a little bit. I still don't think Brady is Tom Brady-esque yet. He's still playing great. You know, Brady at 50 percent still better than most of the league. But he missed a couple passes. He overthrew a couple guys or a couple he threw in the dirt. There were some wide-open looks he didn't hit yet. Uh, there's a theory out there that the, the, the throw to Josh Gordon was just a prayer ball that Gordon happened to bail him out of. I don't know if I buy that or not. But there's a prevailing notion on the interwebs and elsewhere that Tom Brady is still not playing that well for Brady standards just yet. Do you agree, Rich? And if not, how come? Well, if we look at the game and we say that those interceptions are not on him, and if we, yeah, right, because those are both Chris Hogan and Rob Gronkowski, having it in their hands, having it swung out, just great defensive plays, Brady put it exactly where it needed to be, and the receivers just had just some terrible ball luck on that point. If you remove those, Brady had one of the better games of the past few years, right? It, it didn't seem like the Colts could have stopped him. He would have completed what, 36 out of 44 of his passes. That's astronomical. If they added in those yards or, you know, they, they weren't interceptions, his passer rating would probably be up in like the 116, 120 range. So I would expect to say, yeah, maybe he's not perfect. You're still working on continuing to, to regain that development with Julian Edelman, trying to find that relationship with Josh Gordon. So it's not a perfect offense, but for every, you know, for all intents and purposes, Brady is the same player that he was last year. Uh, I mean, he's just suffering or experiencing really bad interception luck slash he threw some dumb interceptions early on, which we know happens when Brady's frustrated. And with the return of Edelman, I expect that frustration to be far reduced, far less frequent. So it's great and all to say Brady's not the same. He hasn't been attempting those deep throws that he had done over the past two years when Chris Hogan led the league in uh, yards per reception in 2016. He was finding Brandon Cooks time after time in 2017. They haven't included that deep element. I believe Josh Gordon's touchdown catch was the first pass beyond 30 yards that Brady has completed this year. I believe that's that's a fact. Um, And so he hasn't been asked to 
play the same way because the players hadn't really been able to. And so we'll really find out over the next couple of weeks as Edelman's available, as Chris Hogan goes back to his old role, as Philip Dorsett maybe can develop into a deep threat, as we see what Josh Gordon's able to bring to the offense. As all of these pieces fall into the plays, we'll, we'll really get our answers as to whether or not the first four weeks of the season was Brady uh, as, as a changed player or if he was just biding his time for, for the offense to return. Let's talk about Josh Gordon for a second, Rich, while you brought him up. Two catches for 50 yards. He had the 134-yard bomb that he caught in double coverage. He had one for a first down, a little slant route. Other two targets he had, Brady hit him low in the dirt. Uh, I think that was more on Brady. And the other one was on the three and out when they were down by their own goal line. Brady wanted Gordon to kind of come back after the play broke down a little bit. He didn't read it fast enough, and they had to punt. Overall, I think Gordon had a good day. I think what he showed in his touchdown catch is exactly what he brings to the table as a receiver. That was a very Randy Moss-esque play. That was almost that was like the 07 Dolphins where he's double coverage with the defense and came up with it really like what he's able to do physically but it's obvious to me he's still not quite there yet in terms of same page chemistry and rapport and playbook and that's totally fine to be honest with you i think that this past game was very indicative of the kind of player gordon's going to be in the offense Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And even if the role will continue to develop later on in the year, it already seems like his production is greater than what some other midseason acquisitions have been able to do at that big outside receiver spot. You know, they, they added Michael Floyd, or yeah, Michael Floyd back in 2016, and then they brought in Kenny Britt late last year. Neither of those players were able to really integrate themselves into the offense to be any sort of a viable target for Brady. Maybe it is just because it's earlier in the year, but through the two games, Gordon's played fewer than 20 snaps in each, I'm pretty sure. And so he has been producing, they've been drawing up plays for him, and he's just building that trust. They don't need him to come in and be that number one guy like he was with the Cleveland Browns. And I really appreciated the response that Josh Gordon gave after the game where he was asked how he felt about being a cog in the Patriots offensive machine versus being the the number one centerpiece for the Browns. And he's like, you know what, to be quite honest, I really appreciate this. I like being able to feed off of my teammates. I like to, you know, see how they're producing and how I can complement one another. And he seems to really be buying into his opportunity with the Patriots. So as he continues to develop, as he continues to build his trust with Tom Brady, I would expect that his role will grow. They're having him run a lot of like post routes, in routes, little angles in order to get that quick separation, get his body, uh, you know, a lot of those basketball routes where he's boxing out the defensive backs. They'll continue to do that. I would expect that he'll have more opportunities to run deep down the field once Tom Brady feels like, you know, he can trust him on the deep ball. Maybe the return of Julian Edelman will free up some more beneficial coverages for these deep passes, and then we'll really see Josh Gordon start to shine. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really cool was he was he was very clearly happy to be there and to score and to contribute. That was a very, like, happy, look what I just did, Spike, with the arms up in the air. Everyone's coming to congratulate him. That's kind of a nice moment for him. And just as a, like, a human interest story, he's obviously struggled with addiction and personal problems and mental health or whatever it is. And it's always good to see somebody in a position to get over that and have a support network around him. So that's always really cool to see. Uh, what's not cool to see, though, Rich, uh, especially given the upcoming opponent, is for Patrick Chung, Devin McCourty, and even Dante Hightower to fail so miserably at covering tight end Eric Ebron, who had nine catches, 105 yards, two TDs, a 30-yarder in there. He had 15 total targets. He had a pretty big field day. The Patriots had no answer for this guy for whatever reason. 
There's a guy named Travis Kelsey coming to down in a couple of days, and if Andrew Luck and Ebron were able to connect this well, and I feel like tight ends have been kind of an Achilles heel for the Patriots all season, what are they going to do when Kelsey comes into town, and am I overreacting right now? I don't think so because this is a strategic question mark for the Patriots defense. And I know that you group Patrick Chung into this, this group of defenders, but I would want to say that Patrick Chung really wasn't in coverage for a lot of what Eric Ebron was producing for a lot of the day because the Patriots decided to have him cover Naheem Hines, their running back, coming out of the backfield. They wanted Patrick Chung to cover him because they learned from their Super Bowl. Frank Wright uh, is the head coach, I believe, of the Indianapolis Colts, and he was the offensive coordinator uh, or sorry, the quarterbacks coach, I believe, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Whatever it was, they looked like they were borrowing some plays from the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. And we can remember how Corey Clement really took the Patriots to task in the Super Bowl. They wanted Naheem Hines to do the same thing. Patriots in the Super Bowl asked their linebackers to cover him, and that was just atrocious. And so they decided to say, Patrick Chung, this is your responsibility. You cover the running back out of the backfield. And that's kind of been his role over the past two years or so uh, when teams don't really have a tight end that they need to shut down. But the issue is that they've been having Devin McCourty come in and cover those tight ends when they move Patrick Chung into uh, kind of covering the running back. And the reason that the Patriots have really been struggling is that Devin McCourty has been playing out of position. I, I think that's like the big thing over the past two years. When the Patriots have been asking Deron Harmon to play more on defense, Deron Harmon's been that single high deep safety, and there's a trickle-down effect where Devin McCourty, who was previously you know, the all-pro at the, the free safety position, was all of a sudden slotted down into that strong safety kind of role where he's covering the tight ends, and now Patrick Chung is in the slot. If this is how the Patriots are going to defend the Kansas City Chiefs, we could be in for a pretty long day because I would not want to see Devin McCourty tasked with covering Travis Kelsey. Instead, I would want Patrick Chung on Travis Kelsey. I would maybe even be willing to flip Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung's role and have Devin McCourty cover Kareem Hunt, the running back of the Chiefs, out of the backfield. Because the last time Patrick Chung was squared off against Travis Kelsey, he did an incredible job shutting him out, making sure that he wasn't a part of their offense. Uh, did that in the, the postseason in 2016, I believe. And he did, like, an okay job uh, the next year. And so I, I, they need to get Patrick Chung back in there against the tight ends. And if, even if it means that, you know what, put Devin McCourty at the single high, which I think is probably, like, the best decision that the Patriots could do, and give more time to Jonathan Jones in the slot as opposed to giving more time to Deron Harmon at free safety, that will really be able to balance that Patriots offense and put them in a better position to defend the, the Chiefs star offensive players. That's a good analysis. I like that. We'll talk about the Chiefs more in a little bit as we uh, get toward the end of the podcast. We keep breaking the Colts down for now. I think overall the Patriots did a pretty good job defensively. I think Ebron was the one area where it really didn't look that good. There were a couple of big runs. Sometimes the run defense can break down overall. But Andrew Luck didn't scramble at all. He zero rushes at all, which is really nice. The Patriots were able to contain him. They sacked him on that monster sack early in the game. There were some drops that the receivers of the Colts had. I felt there were a couple times there the play and the drive could have continued, if not for some errors from the receivers. But overall, I think the Patriots played a pretty solid game. There was a pretty solid strategy as well. Knowing they were so banged up, knowing there were, some, there were no real skill players, they were okay with letting the Colts drive the way they did. There were a couple drives they probably want to have back. 
but I think the arrow is still pointing up for this defense after a shaky first couple weeks. Oh, absolutely, and I've been a big fan of how Jason McCourty's really stepped in as a starter with Eric Rowe sidelined. And when Rowe returns eventually from his groin injury, what do you think the Patriots should do with their secondary? Because McCourty's been playing well, Gilmore is clearly a starter, uh, and Jonathan Jones has been pretty solid as well. So, so what do you see the Patriots doing uh, with their secondary? I, mean, I think Jason, uh, Jason McCourty is done more than enough to earn himself a starting spot. I think him and I think he's like number in terms of the the average rubric and stats. He's like the number four or five corner right now, and Stephon Gilmore's number eleven or twelve. I think he's done more than enough to show that he's he's adapted and he's done well. Eric Rowe is getting smoked the first couple of seasons, a couple of games, excuse me. And a secondary like an offensive line is all about synergy and chemistry and trusting the guys to your left and to your right, knowing your assignments are going to be picked up, knowing your guys are going to be brought up if you're in a zone or whatever the case may be. And it seems to me there's kind of a rapport there and a a chemistry that I don't really want to mess with. So I think it's a it's a unwritten rule in football. You can't lose your job due to injury. But I don't think Belichick really follows that kind of rule. Uh, see Bledsoe, comma, Drew. And I think that they should kind of keep it as it is. I mean, I may, maybe kind of like a, a contrarian opinion for, for etiquette, but I think Rowe has done enough to prove he's shaky anyway, and McCourty's more than done enough to prove he's a, a well-deserved starter and worth that trade they made for him. Yeah, and if we're talking about trying to have a cohesive secondary, there, there's nothing more cohesive than a pair of identical twins back there, right? There, there, <laughs> yeah. there is that superpower that really has been shining through, and it's kind of hard to dispute that. I mean, Jason McCourty's been fantastic out there. It, he really has been a solidifying factor in that secondary uh, but also on the defensive front, I want to talk about how the return of Trey Flowers seems to have rejuvenated this defensive front. Everyone is playing at a far higher level throughout the entire front. Uh, Dante Hightower's been playing well. Kyle Van Noy's been playing well. Is this just a two-game stretch for the Patriots' defensive front because they were missing a lot of tackles over the first three weeks, or is this going to be the, the new normal for the rest of the year? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'd like to hope it's it's the latter. Um, I think we'll know a lot more next week in a much more mobile quarterback with Mahomes, a lot of weird trick formations that Tyreek Hill runs, that Lamar Hunt runs. Um, I think there's a lot more we can we can talk about with that. But overall, I think what I like about it is, if you remember the first couple, even the Houston Texans game, the first three weeks of the season, there was contact and there was three or four yards extra after contact. That's not happening. They're tackling well and they're containing and setting the edge really, really well. And it does come back to Trey Flowers. I think he, him being out there, they don't have to dedicate a linebacker. Dante Hightower played a lot of out of position the first couple of weeks. He was more on the edge as opposed to the middle of the zone. And that really kind of trickles down to the, to the front of the line. So I'd like to hope that they are, the corner has been turned. I think we'll know a lot more by this time next week. Yeah, and that's very true. They'll get a huge challenge against the Kansas City Chiefs. A, a big difference that I've seen from the Patriots' defensive front from the past couple of weeks versus the first few is that they're simply doing their job. And that's something that the defensive players were saying after all of these losses when they're getting blown out. It's what Bill Belichick was saying. And a lot of times when they're just like, you know what, we weren't executing, people can roll their eyes and be like, yeah, well, you know, it's, I, I mean, I was doing this. I was like, there's some deficiency in talent in that, that defensive front, partially because Trey Flowers had been hurt, Patrick Chung had been hurt. And so a lot of players were trickling down and not getting favorable matchups. Now that Flowers is there, Patrick Chung is back out there. They seem to be playing at a different level, and everyone is just doing their job. You know, Malcolm Brown was missing tackles left and right to start the season. He seemed to have really settled down. Lawrence Guy has continued to play at a high level. Danny Shelton is finally really starting to emerge as a run defender. He's making the most of his opportunities out there. 
And even Landon Roberts has been producing at that middle linebacker position where he hasn't been really exposed too much. I am nervous about next week against Kareem Hunt and the the Kansas City Chiefs, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But it seems to me that everyone on the Patriots defensive front is doing their job, same way that the offense is doing their job. And the way that the Patriots have performed over the past couple of weeks, I expect that to be how the Patriots are for the rest of the year. They're, they're going to be a top five offense, and they're going to be you know in that 10 to 15 range as a defense, and that's more than enough for them to do really well in the postseason. Did I call him Lamar Hunt earlier in the pod? I think I did. I think I called him Lamar Hunt. <laughs> Maybe. I think I named him the – I think he, he became the AFC Championship Trophy guy. Uh, my mistake. <laughs> it's uh, Kareem Hunt. Yes, thank you for the correction. Uh, it's all right. Give me a break. One thing I will say, though, about this, um, one thing that I would like to ask you in terms of the defensive front, we're talking with them right now, Andrew Luck had a lot of time to throw on Thursday night. He was sacked that one time early when they brought some pressure up the middle with Patrick Chung. But after that, he would sit back and he could just take his time and do what he had to do. And if not for those drops, it might have been a, a different story. They still would have lost, but it would have been a closer game probably. Do you think that was a scheme or was it just an inability for the guys to, to get pressure and generate sacks from a pretty banged up offensive line yeah it seemed to me that the Patriots are doing that intentionally they were doing that mush rush thing that they've always done historically against mobile quarterbacks and while Andrew Luck hasn't been the most mobile this year as he's returned from injury they still wanted to respect that ability just in case this was the time he was going to break it out and so Adrian Claiborne I know that he finished the day just one assisted tackle and he had one quarterback hit but he was in the backfield for much of the afternoon I want to say that for all of his snaps or all of his pass rushes it seemed like he got in Andrew Luck's face or affected the throw at least a third of the time and so the Patriots weren't going to sell out to try and tackle Andrew Luck, try to sack him. They just wanted to get him off his mark because it's kind of what's worked in the past. If you can get Andrew Luck off his mark, I mean, it's not too different from any other quarterback, but if you can get him hurried out there, he seems to make a lot of mistakes, and that's something that we've seen time after time after time as he played the Patriots, and they managed to get one of those interceptions, and they could have had a couple more had they been able to corral those passes. So, yeah, the Patriots should be able to get more pass rush uh, production moving forward if they want to. I would not expect it to really happen against Patrick Mahomes because he's shown that he's a pretty mobile guy and they're going to want to try and keep him in the pocket. They'll try to replicate their performance and production against Andrew Luck to try and get him off his spot and try and intercept as many passes as possible. So if they're not going to do that against Patrick Mahomes, which I think makes sense because you don't want him to scramble and go for a big game because he's a very fast mobile quarterback, that means you're going to be doing a mush rush and asking a Patriots secondary to cover Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt. That's a pretty tall order, Rich. Those are some very potent offensive weapons, and I don't know if you can ask anybody to cover Tyreek Hill for that long. The guy is just too fast and too elusive. So if they're not really going to focus on putting pressure on home, Mahomes, how do you how do you handle this very, very aggressive Chiefs offense that's scoring points at will right now? Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I, I would say you have the, the possible matchups in the secondary. I, I would say Jonathan Jones and a safety preferably Devin McCourty, would be tasked with stopping Tyreek Hill, making sure that he doesn't catch any of those home run passes that he's very capable of doing. Travis Kelsey, I would hope Patrick Chung, and potentially linebacker and bracket coverage. And then Stephon Gilmore, you're paying him the money. Have him cover Sammy Watkins, potentially on an island. I would expect Gilmore to be able to do that. They're former teammates of the Bills. 
Gilmore, more than anyone on the Patriots, should know his tendencies, should know how to, to really read him as a receiver and be able to stop him. And that gives Jason McCourty, uh, if he's not tasked with bracketing Tyreek Hill, which would be funny if they had McCourty's and McCourty's uh, covering Hill. <laughs> but if you put Jason McCourty out there, maybe he'd cover uh, Chris Conley, who's been the other starter for the, the Chiefs at wide receiver. I would trust that. I would say that's probably the ideal combination that you would put out there. Uh, it, so it's the Patriots do have the talent to go head-to-head in the secondary, and the Chiefs will be without starting offensive linemen, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who's their starting guard. And, you know, ultimately, Patriots should be able to do it, right? I, I, don't, I don't see why they, they won't be able to match up. I know that that's the, the Chiefs have been outstanding. They've been one of the, the top two or three offenses in the entire league. I know they lead the league in points per game, but, you know, compare with the, the Los Angeles Rams, in my mind. But they've been extraordinarily productive. It will come down in my head to whether or not the Patriots' defensive front seven will be able to stop Kareem Hunt as a runner and force Patrick Mahomes to win with his arm, which we all know Mahomes is entirely capable of doing, so that could just be folly. Yeah, I mean, I think the running game is going to decide this one both ways. You know, the good news is the Chiefs defense is pretty bad. They're probably going to be without Justin Houston this coming Sunday. He pulled a hamstring, I think, and he's really iffy for for going against the Patriots. That's a a big loss for for the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are giving up almost six yards a carry. And so I feel like that two-headed attack you were talking about of, of Sony Michelle and James White are primed to take advantage of that. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be basically the front seven versus the front seven, really where this game is won and lost. And it's funny how we're always talking about the way to beat Tom Brady is long, sustained drives, ending points, keep Brady off the field. That is the strategy. The pass are going to have to adopt. They want to kind of hang with the Chiefs. This could be a very high-scoring game. Could be a shootout. Of course, now that I said that, it's going to be like 9 nothing. But <laughs> – I think that this game is going to really be won and lost with the running game and who, which side can stop which running back. Yeah, and, and the Chiefs do have one of the worst defenses in the entire league. I know that they are doing pretty well from a third down perspective, but they've given up more first downs on first and second than any other team in the league. So if the Patriots are able to get the ball going, if they're able to go punch for punch with the Chiefs, I, you know what, for all the grief that the Patriots defense has received over the first few weeks of the year, I trust the Patriots defense more than I trust the Chiefs defense. I trust Tom Brady and his experience more than I trust Patrick Mahomes on the road in Gillette Stadium. And so we'll do our predictions when it comes closer to the game on Sunday, but home field advantage could be the determining factor between who wins and who loses. Not only that, I'd like to hope there's been some talk on the sports radio and whatnot about Mahomes is the new guard and Brady's the old, out with the old, in with the new. Brady does not like it when young bucks come knocking on his door and invading his turf, and he could see this as a prime opportunity to shut everybody up and let everyone know that he is still top dog in the NFL. And as long as he is there, Patrick Mahomes will always be second fiddle. I can very much see him using that as motivation to absolutely light it up on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where we also can point out that the Chiefs do this every single year it seems like they always roar out to an amazing start and then kind of limp their way for the the remainder so uh it should be an exciting game the the winner of the patriots and the chiefs this could determine who gets a first round bye when it comes down to it because 
Chiefs beat the Jaguars pretty easily. Uh, that wasn't even that close. The you know it, the Chiefs won 30 to 14. Blake Bortles looked like Blake Bortles. And so if the Chiefs beat the Jaguars and they beat the Patriots, then it's very very likely that the Chiefs could you know I mean they will be in the driver's seat for home field advantage, but they could pretty closely solidify a first round bye if they continue to build their edge over their their main rivals in the conference. And so that could be one of them. And then because the Jaguars have the edge over the Patriots, that could be the end of the Patriots first round buy streak so I don't want to put too much pressure or you know overvalue an early season game like this but when we were talking week four about Patriots versus Dolphins being a you know a deciding factor within the division we could talk about Patriots Chiefs being a, a major deciding factor for the the pecking order inside the conference yeah, it's crazy to think that a Jaguars game week two and a Chiefs game week six could could decide who gets the first round by. But yeah, I mean, if the Chiefs have the Patriots Jaguars under their belt, I, who's 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 next? Like the Steelers, I guess. But the Steelers are looking very very Bengals, up and down. baby. Yeah, maybe the, I mean again, I again like uh, I'll say it again, Rich. Who knows? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, and we'll be able to break this down a little bit more as we get closer to it. For right now, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that Patriots are three and two atop the division again. Can't complain too much about that. Uh, Alec, do you have any final thoughts on Week Five of the NFL season before we we turn forward to you know the the, the meat of the year? Yeah, I'm just glad that the September's over. I'm glad Thursday night football is over, and now it's October. The season's really starting. Looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely. I'm really – I think this is going to be a great finish for the Patriots. I know it's – again, it's pretty early on, but they're in the – they're really turning the corner right now. I'm excited to see what they do for the rest of the year. And we'll have everything on patspulpit.com. I also want to throw out there, I hope everyone's enjoying our, our new status on Art19. That is now hosting our podcast. And make sure you subscribe. And until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See you. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.